welcome to the A Plus EdTech Podcast. My name is Ashley McBride, and I'm an instructional technology specialist from North Carolina. In this episode, I interview my friend Brad Schreffler. Brad is a curriculum resource teacher from Central Florida. He's also served as a digital instructional coach and an English teacher for both middle and high school. Brad is also the host of the Planning Period podcast. You can find the Planning Period podcast on iTunes, and you can listen to it on Voice Ed Radio. If you like listening to this podcast, or you like listening to people talk about education in general, you should look at Voice Ed Radio. You can find them on Twitter by looking up at Voice Ed Canada. But now back to Brad. I'd really like to thank Brad for taking the time to talk to me a while ago. And I would really like to thank Brad for letting me on to his show, The Planning Period Podcast. And I do believe that you get to hear Brad and me have another conversation on his episode when he releases the one that we did together this week as well. Now, I'm excited about this episode with Brad because my district's not one-to-one just yet. We've been working on it. It's coming, hopefully, someday soon. But as we work on it, this is one of those things that we are trying to plan ourselves. Maybe we'll have the students help us out whenever it comes to break-fix for these abundance of student devices that we've got. So I'm glad that Brad was able to join me, and I hope you get as much out of it as I did. How are you? Doing well, and yourself? I am good. So when I met you at ISTE, which we randomly sat down at the same table. Um, it was serendipity, if you will. <laughs> it really was, because we started talking about podcasting, and it, we just ended up with a whole interesting set of conversations. And one of the things that you talked about that I'm very interested in is the fact that you have students... Uh, performing fixes and things like that on computers at your school. Can you explain that program? Yeah, I I don't have a fancy name for it. I just call it student tech support. When I'm when I talk to somebody that doesn't understand what that means, I just say I have a bunch of geek squad kids sitting in my office. Um which I hate that comparison because I actually can't stand the geek squad, but that's not really the point. Um and so what happened basically is our school went one to one. We we handed out and and when I said rather large high school, I mean we had forty two hundred students at our at our high school, so roughly a thousand students per grade level. Um, and as you can imagine, that's a lot of kids and a lot of laptops. We handed out Windows laptops to every kid. They're Lenovo Yogas and four thousand laptops, and we had two full time techs to support us, and that ratio just doesn't work. And on top of that, the teachers all got laptops and new hardware and everything else as part of a retrofit to go with it. So we doubled the number of teacher devices because they still had a desktop for presentations and their laptop. And then we added another 4,200 student laptops for around five or so thousand devices that the two full-time techs had to support. And that's just, it's not feasible. And so we decided that the best option at that time, and me and the administration thought that listen, why don't we just find some kids that are already technically inclined and we'll teach them to fix the basic stuff because a lot of this stuff is going to come down to user error. And so we'll teach them to fix that stuff. They'll report to me and we'll train them to fix stuff and we'll just see how that goes. And that's kind of where it started. 
So what, what kinds of fixes do you have students do? Can you give us some examples? You know, honestly, calling them fixes for anyone that's tech savvy is probably not the right word. Mostly they fix the user because most of what happens is user error. The vast majority of what my students deal with is user error. Our district is really strict about user accounts and who has access to what and who can fix what. I mean, as the digital coach, I didn't have an override password to install software for other teachers or to do any kind of fixes that required the tech. Um, so I could fix some basic stuff, but only what any teacher would fix. And so my students didn't have any additional user access than any other kid in the school. So mostly what they fix are things where kids just don't know what they're doing, click the wrong buttons, install the wrong software, and my kids just clear stuff out. You know, one of the really common things we see is students want to get past our firewalls and get past the security we put in place so they can't see things they shouldn't see at school, and they'll install five different Chrome extensions for I, or for um, you know a VPN or bypass security, and every one of them is actually just adware or spam or whatever. And then they come down and they go, oh, my Internet stopped working. Nothing's working now. And my kids go, well, maybe it's this thing that says break the Internet. (laughs) Maybe just as a thought, that could be the problem. Um, So they fix mostly they fix students is really what I tell my kids is you're not here to fix computers. You're here to fix computer. You're here to fix students. So is this is this like just during a certain period of the day or do you have kids assigned to you all day? So I have seven periods worth of kids. Um, I have roughly last year, I think I had 35 kids. I'm going down a little bit this year. So I, you know, I had between, I think I had 30. So I had between two and six a period, just sort of depending on where they were at. And, um, yeah, so I have period, I have kids, all seven periods. Obviously my job requires me to be a lot of other places. So the compromise we came up with was my office is used to be a computer lab, but when every kid has a laptop, you don't need a desktop computer lab very much anymore. So we, we demolished that lab and that became my office, but it's also located in the media center and it's just a bunch of windows into the room. So the media specialist is available. The media clerks are available. Other people are in the media center. If I have to step away and go help a teacher and my kids are able to still be monitored, even if I can't necessarily be in the room seven periods a day for every single day. So about how much work do they have on a given day? You know, it it really depends. I find that what they come through really comes in waves and there will be a day where you know, I step out for a morning duty or something and I'm, I'm checking on a kid or checking on a teacher and I come back and there's 30 kids in my office waiting for them to have time to help them. And another day they may not see a single kid that period. It's very hit or miss, unfortunately. You know, a lot of what happens is the district will push out an update to a piece of software and everybody loses their mind and forgets how to use it all of a sudden. And so they get a wave of help or Every kid, you know, one kid finds out about a VPN that actually works and he told 15 of his friends and then, you know, that's on Friday and on Monday they, you know, the county figured it out and shut it down and now all of those kids have broken internet. And so it tends to come in waves. It it really is, you know, hit or miss, but they stay busy pretty consistently. I'd say more often than not, they're at least helping a couple kids a period and, you know, 
the, what's nice about it this last year is we've transitioned it into a full, full, a full legitimate internship. And actually our course code and everything align with being an internship. So they can actually put on their resumes that it's a student tech support in, or it's a tech support internship. And I tell them all the time, I'm like, look guys, there are going to be times in any job where you're not as busy as you maybe should be, or as you feel is justified, or there's times where you just don't have a lot of work to get done. It's a really critical life skill to be able to look like you're busy, even when you're not. And so I tell them, you know, as soon as that, as soon as there's not a kid in this room, use your time wisely, or at least look like you're using your time wisely. So, so how do you train these students to, to do these things? Is it is there a specific program that you have? I mean, do you have certain things you train them on or do you just wait until there's a problem and then you train them within that problem? Well, I'm not great at planning anything. <laughs> um, so year one, I didn't have a plan in place for how I was going to train these kids. And most of year one of implementation of our one-to-one program was just absolute chaos anyways. So I was in a thousand places at once. So really it started with just shadowing like guys, follow me. I'll explain what I'm doing as I do it, but I don't have time to do it twice. So pay attention and listen. Like that's all I can give you right now. And you know, we found kids that were already pretty savvy and could look at a computer and go like, Oh, well, you know, this really obvious problem is probably what the problem is. Um, you know, so, I mean, some of that kind of stuff helped is having really well-picked kids. You know, we, I, I took recommendations from teachers of like, Hey, who would you call on in your class? If you knew something was broken, which student is the one you would ask to fix it? You know, and those are the kids I reached out to and said, Hey, you should be in my class. Um, so that helped. They were already pretty savvy. And then going into year two, which was last year and now year three this year, I have a lot of returning kids. The kids tend to want to stay in the class because, they're usually higher level, higher achieving kids. So they may be taking a course load of four or five AP courses. And my course is a little bit different. It's a break for them, but it's also a great study hall. Um, so it gives them a great chance to have a period of day where they're not doing nothing, but they get lots of extra time to also study and catch up on work they're behind on and that kind of stuff. Um, so they, they tend to repeat. So I haven't had to do a ton of training. So this past year, most of the training was okay. You guys were in this class last year. You're teaching the kid that wasn't. So go make that freshman figure out how to fix all these problems because he's going to be with me for the next three years. Um, so it's a lot of you know student teaching and that kind of stuff. And then as new problems arrive, I I solve them, figure out what's wrong, and then teach them what I just did. So okay. that's what I was going to ask you next. Was is there some sort of hierarchy that you have? Like, do you have someone who is like your chief technology officer for that for that class or? Does everybody pretty much start at the same? I don't have anything quite that formal, but I mean, certainly I know in a given class of five or four or whatever, who might be the one that I would point to. I really try to focus on letting them work together and work collaboratively instead of having a leader. Um, I'm the ultimate leader. So I just have them, if they have an issue, they can come to me. You know, I use remind a lot for that purpose because, um, I'm all over campus often, so they can just text me on Remind, and I'll get it wherever I am on campus, and I can go back and help them if I need to. Um, but, you know, I don't have, like, a complete formal system. So I definitely have returning kids and new kids, and that's probably the closest division I have in that way. I love that you called yourself the ultimate leader. That was... Well, it's a lot better than what I tell them. I tell them that I'm a tyrannical dictator and <laughs> that they don't have a choice. So... <laughs> Oh, wow. So so do you give them a grade for this class? 
or is it? Yeah, it is a real class. Um, it, it follows, it now falls under the, our career and technical education program at our, at our County. And so it still gets a grade. They don't have, you know, necessarily traditional assignments or anything like that. A lot of their grades are based on, you know, I guess you would equate it to a participation grade. I, I don't give them formal tests necessarily. What I have not as much in year one, but definitely last year, I focused a lot more on doing more than just that because I realized that there is a lot of downtime and I wanted, I wanted, I had this group of kids who I felt like I could work with and who trusted me and and respected me and we could try new things. And also, as, as you know, once you go into a coaching role, you start to miss that teaching part. You know, you start to miss those light bulb moments and that yes. kind of stuff. So definitely last year I set aside every Wednesday, pretty much, unless I had to be at a district training I had pretty much every Wednesday set aside where I helped no teachers and I said, no, my Wednesdays are my class day. That's my one day a week that I will be in this room, seven periods. We will not help kids unless it's an emergency. Like if their computer is completely dead, we'll adjust if we need to. But Wednesdays are my class day. And I did random assignments with them. You know, one time I did literally their assignment for two weeks was teach me something. I gave them a, like a few days to come up with a topic they wanted to teach me. I had to approve them. And then they had a week to build a lesson with an assessment. And then they took turns presenting and teaching me something. I learned all kinds of ridiculous stuff in the course of those, that two week period, or I would do, you know, project-based learning or whatever other random idea I heard about on Twitter or something. I'd be like, Hey guys, we're going to try this out this week. And that's so, kind of what I did to, to give them some grades as well. So you have your own little experimental class before you actually go and try to get something to co-teach. Yeah, pretty much. It's kind of nice having having seven periods a day of, of, of guinea pigs. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> nice. Wow, I would love that. <laughs> so how did you, like, did you have to jump through any hoops to get this approved to be part of the CTE program? Or did it, was it just your administration said, oh, we're just going to create this class and it'll be CTE program? Because to me, that sounds like something I would have to like go to the district or even higher up to, to get approved. Well, when we started, I, I can't take credit for the idea completely. So our district did a very slow rollout of the one-to-one program. So they had a first cohort that did various devices in multiple schools. So multiple each, you know, they had like six schools and it, each of the six schools did a different device. And that was like for a year. And then they studied and collected all this data and said, okay, which device do we want to go forward with the rest of the district? And they ended up deciding Lenovo yogas and doing windows devices. And, um, then they did a cohort two where they rolled out the Lenovo's to like another nine schools and all nine schools had the same devices and the same plans and everything else. And so we were part of round two of that process. Um, at this point there had been schools that had had one-to-one in our district for two years and we copied a lot off of a school nearby and they had a program similar to this when they started. So we kind of copied off of them and said, Hey, if you did that, that's cool, but we want to sort of take it a step further and, and, and create the program we have. Um, but anyway, so initially we kind of used the the course code for student assistance the first year. We didn't really have approval to do it necessarily from the district. My principal and I were on board and just said, okay, let's do it. Um, 
a couple other schools did things similarly, but with the success of our program, especially the district said, okay, we should do this and make it available, but we need to standardize it. And the way they standardized it was by making the CTE course code or saying that if you're going to do student tech support, use this course code. So it was actually a district initiative to push this course code out as an option for our kids. So I didn't have to do the work on it because it's a great idea and I, and I probably would have, but Thankfully, someone else did it for me. <laughs> right. You don't don't recreate the wheel if it's already there. So what what suggestions might you have if somebody were starting a one to one program and they wanted to do something like this? Uh, what what suggestions would you have for them? You know, I think the most important thing and what makes my program effective is having the right kids. I think that's probably the most important thing. You have to have kids that you can truly trust. And, you know, my kids have a lot of time where they're not directly monitored. I would never say they're unmonitored, but they're not directly monitored. And I ask them to do things that, you know, you can't necessarily ask a normal kid to do. And I don't necessarily have the ability to hold something over their head like a normal teacher might. So, you got to have the right kids. And a lot of that comes down to getting recommendations. You know, having if you, if you, you know, I did an open application, I let kids apply. And then I also encourage teachers to say, Hey, if you have a kid that might fit for this program, tell them to apply. But every one of those kids that applied, I went to all of the teachers they had had that year and said, I need to know every detail you can tell me about this kid. What are they like? You know, and I looked for kids that we're going to be hardworking. Yes. I don't necessarily need straight A students. I don't think that's what you need to look for. I think you need to find kids that are hardworking, but I think the most important skill in this case is self-motivated. They need to be kids that are going to just push themselves and do it because they want to, that are not going to need me to be over their shoulders, pushing them to do it. So I think step number one is, is having the right kids. Um, step number two is, I, I mean, I don't know a better way to put this than just say rolling with the punches. Things are going to go wrong. Everything's going to mess up and be prepared for it to fail. I don't think you, I could run this program if I wasn't willing to tell my kids, this is going to fail every single day. And that's okay. Cause it's going to fail less tomorrow. Like that's all I hope for. Right. You know, and so being, being understanding with those kids and with yourself that it's not always going to work, you know, it's not perfect by any stretch, but that's okay. Like that's, that's totally okay. So I think those are probably my two biggest things to think about. All right. Well, thank you so much. I, I have so many, like my brain is churning on how we can do something like this in my <laughs> district now. So thank you. And I really appreciate having you on and I hope to have you on again. Uh, for another episode, we'll find another topic. Hey, anytime I'm, I'm available. Let me know. Thank you again to Brad for taking the time to talk with me. And thank you so much for all the ideas and know that I will be contacting you as things progress in our district. If you would like to subscribe to Brad's podcast, you can go to aplusedtech.com and I've put a link in the show notes there. You'll also find his Twitter handle so you can connect with Brad. In addition to that, if you go to the show notes, you will find that I have put a link into Voice Ed Radio, where you can find both my show, Brad's show, and a number of other wonderful podcasts. <laughs>